out with your friends later, and all of a sudden I'd find that I wasn't really as sick as I, or I, th I thought I was, and you know, I'd, I'd uh, ended up, uh, end up going to school anyway. So um, all you folks out there that are watching us on live stream, now, it's, here's, here's a lesson for you. If we get a really, really good snow, like a perfect sledding snow, it's too dangerous to get out on the roads now. You can't drive anywhere and go sledding. If, I mean, this is too dangerous to come to church. It's too dangerous to, you know, drive over to a friend's house tonight and watch the Steelers play football and eat barbecue. No, it's too, too dangerous to do that. So uh, just keep that in mind. No, seriously, I understand that we have a lot of people that can't be here today for various reasons and uh, glad that uh, we do have the live stream where people can and can tune in at least uh, at least to the sermon uh, today. I'm going to preach a sermon about something that I don't know that I've ever preached a full length sermon about this before. Um, I'm going to talk about the sanctity of life. I'm going to kind of do it in a in a roundabout way. Uh, but let me just introduce this message first of all, just by saying uh, that the fact that we are called to live in a countercultural type of way means that we're going to have to have some beliefs, uh, not just some practices, but we're going to have to have some beliefs that are also counter-cultural. And um, there's some beliefs that we have to have as Christians that are based upon Scripture that if we're going to hold to those beliefs, if we're going to adhere to those beliefs, the time is quickly coming to where we're going to be called evil, we're going to be called immoral for holding to traditional, historical, biblical Christian beliefs about things such as marriage and gender. And also today, uh, we're going to talk about life. Today, we're going to talk about life, how life originated and how humanity is sacred I can tell you that uh, what I'm going to present to you today, I believe, is very countercultural. Uh, you you don't really hear it taught in schools um, and in different places like that. Um, but the Bible answers some very basic questions about mankind. Very basic questions, such as where did we come from, and what is our purpose. I mean, those are two questions that eventually every human being is going to ask. Where did we come from, and what is our purpose? And I believe that we find the answer to those two questions in the opening chapters of the Bible, actually in the very first chapter of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1. And so I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1 as we talk about the importance of life, the sanctity of life, and how we are called to protect and to preserve life. So I want to ask you to stand with me as we read Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to start reading in uh, verse 26. Now I'm going to kind of drop you right down into the middle of the six days of creation. And obviously we're going to be reading about the sixth day uh, that God created man. And these are some verses that just uh, give us such great information about who we are and how we are valuable to God and we should be valuable to each other. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Father, today, uh, we thank you for these few verses that we have read in your word. We thank you, Lord, for what it says about us. We thank you, Lord, for what it says about you. And I pray, God, that you would teach us, Lord, today about the importance of life. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Uh, So again, I've kind of dropped you in the middle of the creation story in Genesis chapter 1. If you're new to Christianity, if you've never read that before, Genesis chapter 1 records what uh, we believe to be uh, God's, uh, uh, God's creative activity and bringing the whole universe into being. There are six days of creation, and we've just read pretty much the major portion of the sixth day of creation, whenever God created man. And these verses present to us a very countercultural understanding of the origin of life, and they present to us the reason that human life is of infinite value. And that's an important statement. The human life is of infinite value. We, we, don't, we don't believe that life is over whenever we die. We believe that, that, that life will begin, will, will continue on into eternity, and it's important where we spend our eternity. And the, the distinction that we see about human beings and how God created them is very, very different than how God created other creatures and other beings and the rest of the created order. And because of that, we believe that human life should be respected, it should be protected, and it should be preserved from conception until natural death. We don't believe this, by the way, about other parts of creation. There are other parts of creation that we don't have the same conviction about. How many of you spray your house for bugs? A lot of us do. I would say the majority of us do. Um, And whenever we kill those horrible creatures, those spiders that are a spawn of Satan, and we're not part of the original creative order, just kidding, um, we don't feel bad about it. We don't don't feel bad whenever we kill insects, whenever we kill mosquitoes. We we don't think that their life is on the same par uh, as, as ours. Whenever we chop down bushes on a plot of ground, a plot of ground, and we destroy that plant life so that we may plow the ground and plant corn or soybeans or whatever it might be. We don't say that we're somehow doing damage to creation. Uh, Some people would, but most of us would not. How many of you like chicken? You probably ate chicken this morning. You will probably eat chicken before the day is over. More than likely, you ate chicken not too long ago, and you will probably eat chicken again. You ever been to a chicken farm? Let me tell you what. You go to a chicken farm, and you can see how they breed chickens in mass. They spend their whole life in a cage. They pump them full of all types of stuff so they'll be plump and fat. 
And they do this for no other reason. They multiply as fast as they can for no other reason so that you Baptists can fry them in grease. And whenever we look at this, we don't think that most of us, only the most radical among us, would say, well, it's evil to raise chickens for food, but we would never do this to human beings. I mean, unless we are just the most evil sort to have ever walked the earth. There is something special about human life that does not apply to other life within the created order. Mankind is a special creature. And there's some distinctions that we see in Genesis that I just want to point out to you. First off, we see clearly that God created mankind. God created mankind. There's, uh, there's a cultural view about how man came to be. And then there is the Christian view about how man came to be. There is uh, the, the, the godly position about how mankind came to be. And then there is the atheist position about how mankind came to be. One is a natural explanation. The other is a supernatural explanation. And I don't know about you, Christian, but I like to major on supernatural explanations. The Christian view is that we were supernaturally created by God. That God created us out of nothing. The word that we use to describe that is ex nihilo, out of nothing. God had no other predetermined, no, no building blocks for making this universe. He created the universe out of nothing. Now, if I can't believe in a God that is powerful enough to create out of nothing, then I'm probably not going to believe in a God who rose from the dead. The only reason that there's life is because there is God. Now, the cultural view, which is widely accepted, is the naturalistic view that life was accidental. That there was a big bang, a big explosion, 14 billion years ago. And then, millions of years ago, through a process of evolution, human beings came from tadpoles, and then we became apes, and then we somehow became what we are today. Y'all, I'm not so sure which one of these views requires more faith. To believe that God spoke the world into existence or that somehow there was an explosion 14 billion years ago and somehow we slithered out of the sea and became apes and then people. I, I, don't have, I don't have time for all the academics this morning. Suffice it to say, there is zero proof for evolution. Zero proof for evolution. But yet it is presented as fact everywhere you go. It is widely accepted as fact. Evolution is the atheist position. It's not what we believe. We believe that God created mankind. And after, after he created the universe, he made man in a special way. I love this. Look at that. It says he made man. He created man. He created us. There's some phrases in this seventh day of creation that are not true of creatures in other days of creation if we were to read them. 
First of all, in the first five days of creation, God simply said, let there be. It's like he just spoke. He said, let there be, and those things happened. But on the sixth day of creation, talking about mankind, God said he made mankind. You see, mankind did not come from the sea as uh, evolution, evolution scientists want to tell us. Uh, mankind came from the dust. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 tells us how God made mankind, uh, specifically man, and how God fashioned him, how he formed him from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. It doesn't say that we came from an ape. It says God made us as man from the dust is how it happened. And God did it in a special way. People are made in the image of God. Look back at these verses in verse 26 through verse 27. People are made, all people are made in the image of God. Imago Dei is the term that we use to describe that. It means in God's image, after God's likeness. This is why people are of more infinite worth than other parts of creation. Other, other creatures were not made in the image of God, but yet we were. We were made in the image of God. And again, I point out, pointed out these phrases in uh, other parts of creation that said, uh, in other parts of creation it says, let there be, but when it came to man, he said, let us make, and he made, it, and made us in a certain way, made us in God's image. What does that mean, to be made in God's image? It means that we were made to resemble God, to reflect His character. It means that we were to reflect His glory, and we were also given a certain amount of dominion over the earth. And this is really our purpose. You see, we have reason, we have choices, we reflect God's glory in that way. We have emotions, we have feelings that matches that matches who God is. We have a social connection of fellowship and love that mirrors who God is among the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have morals. We have a conscience. We reflect His righteousness and His holiness in this way. Now, I hate to tell you this, but other animals don't have these things. At least they don't have these things on the level in which they were made in the image of God. Do you know that when a lion in Africa defeats another lion who has a, a, a pride of lions, the first thing that that lion does is he hunts down all of the small newborn lions and he kills the offspring of the other lion. He feels no guilt. He feels no remorse about it. He doesn't carry around a scar for the rest of his life. Listen, go find a deer hunter. I know this sounds cruel. Go find a deer hunter who has ever shot a small deer while that deer was with its mother. That mother will change its behavior for just a period of time, but 10 minutes later, 30 minutes later, certainly a day later, that mother deer is right back to doing what she always did. She doesn't feel this sense of remorse and loss. She's not scarred for the rest of her life emotionally. 
there are certain things about animals, and I'm sorry, I know that sounds cruel. There are certain things about animals that are just not true um, um, of human beings. Excuse me, there are certain things about human beings that are just not true of animals because we were made in the image of God. And this is what has disfigured us. This is what, this is what has been damaged in human beings and why we need Christ to save us. Because human beings are starting to look and act and think and feel more like animals than they are about human beings, than they, than they are human beings that reflect the nature of God and of his holiness with a conscience, with a, with a, with a disposition that is directed towards God and towards the Creator. Now, I don't have time for this third distinction, but I'm just going to mention it briefly. But God made two distinct genders, both in his image. I'm going to talk more about this next week uh, whenever we talk about countercultural relationships. But whenever God talks about the creation of mankind, he gives two distinct creative accounts when it comes to the man and when it comes to the woman. Um, the Bible describes the man being made of dust. It describes the woman being made of the rib. And there is a, there is a pointed effort to make sure that there is a distinction between genders. And though we do see a distinct, distinction between gender, genders in the animal kingdom, and we, uh, we don't really see it as a point of emphasis in the, crea in the creation account, like we do uh, when it comes to male and female. We have this creation of Adam uh, made from the dust and God breathing the breath of life into him and God putting him in the garden for a special purpose. And then we have an account of God creating the woman because there was this major need in the man. He was going to, he, look, he was going to be a wreck without her. God looked at him and said, that joker needs a helper. Well, we got to do something about that. And it gives this glorious account of how God created the woman. And she became the crown of creation. And she became the most celebrated part of creation that we see um, in, um, in all of the account of creation. Both genders bear the image of God. And when the woman walks in feminine qualities, she reflects the image of God. When a man walks in masculine qualities, he reflects the image of God. More on that next week. Here's where I really want to end up today. God gave assignments to man. He gave assignments to man. He gave an assignment to uh, fill the earth, subdue the earth, have dominion. He did not give that assignment to any other created, uh, uh, in anything else that he had created. God delegated a certain amount of authority, a certain amount of management, a certain amount of oversight over the world that he created. But it's really this, this first one that I want to talk about. God told man and woman. Be fruitful and multiply. What does that mean? Have babies. Have lots and lots of babies. 
That's what this is talking about. Now listen, um, if, if, if you need any help with that, I can tell you there's this group of young adults that kind of sit over in this section here that, man, let me tell you what, uh, the people of Stephen Street, y'all realize how many babies we've had? I mean, we have babies upon babies upon babies. We are living up to that command to be fruitful and multiply. But God told the man and the woman, he said, make more people like you who are like me and bear my image. Make more people that look like you, that look like me and that resemble me, and bear the image of God. Fill the earth with image bearers. You know what the culture says? The culture says that children are a burden. Oh, I'm so tired. I have all this stuff that my kids are this, my kids that, all these kids. Oh, you better watch out. Oh, I have too many kids, man. Your life is over. As soon as you start have that first child, oh, you've just kind of lost your freedom. I mean, our culture sees children as a burden, particularly when it's an inconvenient or unplanned pregnancy. Our culture sees them as a burden and oftentimes as something to be dispensed with. But we know based upon Scripture that children are not a burden. Children are a blessing from God. Do you know Satan hates babies? He hates babies. He wants to keep Christians, from Christians specifically, from having babies. He wants to keep people from having babies or he wants to kill those babies. I mean, you just look throughout the Word of God. Instances like where Pharaoh throws babies in the Nile. Gives authority to every Egyptian and says, if you see one of these Hebrew women that has a baby, you take that baby and you throw it in the Nile. Dispense with it. How about Herod in the New Testament, where he killed all the infants in, in Bethlehem? You know, I don't, I don't see Satan acting this way towards other creatures on earth that have babies. You know, when I look throughout the Bible, particularly in creation, I don't see Satan try to attack deer to not have more babies or squirrels or dogs or antelope or buffalo. It's, it's, just a, it's just the human babies, it seems like, that Satan hates, that he wants to dispense with. In, in 1973, Roe v. Wade became law, and abortion was legalized in our nation. Now, I, I, now please hear me. I believe that it is evil, that it is satanic, that it is against God's will to kill a child any time after that child was conceived. There is a sanctity of life that is disregarded whenever that happens. And it is a violation of the second command, of the, excuse me, of the sixth commandment. Because here's the reality. Your life is valuable to God. Look what the Bible says in Psalm verse 139, verse 13 through verse 16. We have that for the screen. 
Look what the Bible says. It says, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, you saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. You were personally created by God, just like Adam, the man, was created from dust. Eve, the first woman, was created from a rib. God created you in your mother's womb. And he was intimately and intricately and fearfully and wonderfully knitting you and forming you and making you. Whenever you were just an unformed substance, God was creating you. And this is as much of a miracle as God creating the first man from dust or the first woman from a rib, it is just as glorious that God made all of us that way. Your very existence should cause you to have awe and wonder towards God. You know, God saw you before you ever looked in the very first mirror. He knew all the days of your life before you even had one of them. Do you know that your heart was beating almost eight months before you were born, possibly even before your mother even knew that she was pregnant? Look at your arms and your legs and your hands and your feet. Do you know you've had that? You've had those seven and a half months before you were born. You had those arms and you had those legs. Six and a half months before you were born, 11 weeks after you were conceived, you had fingerprints that were distinctive only of you. There can be billions upon billions upon billions upon billions of people that can ever be born in the past or the future. No one will ever have the identical fingerprints that you have. And you had those six and a half months before you were born. Do you know at week 11, female babies have all of the eggs already in their ovaries that they will ever have, over two million of them, all throughout their life. Life is precious and valuable and should be protected even from conception. And you want me to tell you someone else that's valuable? Let me tell you someone else that's valuable. And let me tell you someone else that is loved by God. It's that woman who made that choice to get that abortion. Do you know God loves her? God's, God loves her even, even though... She might have made a bad decision. God still loves and cherishes and formed and knitted together that woman just like she did you. And I think that's important worth mentioning because we're, we're not hate mongers, are we? We don't, we don't hate people. We don't dislike people. We don't, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've sinned. I mean, 
I've, I've never had an abortion or participated in one, but I've sinned in other ways, and God still loves me. He still loves us regardless of the mistakes that we made. And here's, here's the good news in all of this, is that new life can start today. New life can start today. You know that God's creative activity is not limited to Genesis, and His creative activity is not just limited to the womb. God creates and makes new life every single time we call on Jesus and ask Him to be our Savior. God gives us forgiveness. God gives us His grace. God gives us His mercy. And the image of God, which, which has been lost as a result of the fall, the image of God can be restored in us as we pursue Jesus. You see, your life, not just human life generally, but your life specifically is of infinite worth to God because you're going to live forever. The, the Bible says it would be in either one of two places. It will either be in a glorious place called heaven where you will spend all eternity with God or it will be in a terrible place that Jesus called hell which will be complete and absolute total separation from God. And it's really dependent upon not if we've sinned in the past, but if we have been forgiven, if we've called upon Jesus, and if we've asked him to save us. So I want us to, as we move into a time of response, and as we move into a time of prayer, uh, there, uh, there's maybe several things that maybe we need to pray about today. Uh, first off, um, you may be a person here today that has had an abortion in the past. Most people that this has happened to, they don't tell people, they keep it a secret because they're ashamed of it. Let me tell you something today. God loves you, and we love you too. And maybe today you need to feel and experience the forgiveness of God as you just pray that prayer, and you just offer it to Him and say, God, I know what I did is wrong. But me carrying around the guilt of that is just as wrong. And maybe the Lord will release you from that guilt today. Maybe that's what you need to pray about. Or perhaps, uh, perhaps you know someone that, uh, that has had an abortion. And, and God would call you to minister to them and to love on them and to care for them. Or if today you would say, you know what, I've had, I've had physical life. And I see how God created our physical life to reflect the image of God. And that's just not true of me. And today, you want to be restored to, your, to, to the way that God created you. And you want to begin to reflect the image of God in your life. The Bible just says that we call upon the name of Jesus and we can be saved. And so let's take some time uh, just to respond to the Lord. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. And let's just pray a prayer of whatever the Lord might have on our hearts today.